Neil, nice to meet you, man. Uh, my name's Clark, one of the co-hosts, along with Russell over there. We're in the same room, by the way. <laughs> no. And then uh, Randy's, no, our, <laughs> Randy's our engineer uh, over there in Atlanta. We're, we're based in uh, San Francisco. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So what is it? Uh, about midday there now, is it? Yep, uh, noon. Nice. Nice, yeah. And okay, uh, cool. you're over in the UK? Yeah, I'm in London, so it's just uh, just gone 8 p.m. Managed to get my my kids to sleep relatively hassle-free tonight, so that was good. You know? Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for doing that, and also thank you for uh, downloading Chrome so you can talk <laughs> to us today. All right. <laughs> All right, are we rolling, Randy? We're rolling. All right, well... Uh, judging by the look of disappointment on your face, Neil, I can tell that the uh, regret has already sunk in that you're here. <laughs> but I want to let everybody know that it was your choice to come on here. And this happens every now and then where I review a film and somebody attached to the film is so outraged by my review that they have to come <laughs> on here and yell at us. So I'm ready and I, I will field any question you have, <laughs> but just know I'm a humble uh, film critic in the Bay Area. No, no, no. I just, uh, no, I really appreciate that you, uh, that you took the time to watch it, Russell. I mean, that you found it, you know, um, and then you took the time to watch it and obviously to talk about it, you know, bring some attention to it, which is, uh, you know, so important for, for small films, especially sort of small international films in, in our case, a very small British film that, um, that had a, you know, we were fortunate we had a really good sort of reception and release over in the UK. Um, and then, we we played a couple of festivals in the US and and the, the sort of the critical response has been quite good, but but obviously you know it doesn't necessarily you know it's not a big studio film. It was probably made for less than the cost of that poster on your wall behind you, um, you know. So it, it, to to get the exposure and to actually find people that are able to to first of all find the film and then appreciate it and talk about it and bring kind of word of mouth and more interest to it is just you know it's it's it's, it's the difference between. Um, the film being, you know, having a life and it not, you know, so thank you, mate. Yeah. You know, I think you're in the, the tough culture of there's, we, we do a, a found footage film fest. And when we kind of curate the whole film fest around a particular type of film and a bunch of people who are fans of that film show up, you know, you get a different kind of response and you have like the, the quintessential film fest movie. Where people show up and they expect nothing, and then they're they're like, "Whoa, this was good!" And then you're normally there, and they can talk about how little money you made for. I I honestly don't really believe you that there was not a lot of money here. The movie looks oh, no. legitimate. Yeah. No, thank you, and and that and that really is down to the people that were, were involved. I mean, I can give you a little sort of overview as to where it came from, how it all sort of come about, if you're interested. But yeah, um, please. I mean, I mean, basically, I was an actor that had had sort of pretty much stepped away from it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been sort of jobbing and I'd gotten to the place in my career where the things I was being asked to do, which is not things I wanted to do. And the things I was being asked to meet for or tape for or whatever, were just things that it's like, you know, you, you work so hard as an actor just to have a career. And then when you're on set and you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're thinking like, what, can I, can I cuss on this show or not? Yeah. Please. Yeah. We, we would encourage yeah. you to. Yeah. When you were talking about being an actor, doing things you didn't want to do, know that I had an Epstein joke in the, the oh, whole story. So that's who you're dealing with. Please feel free okay. to do whatever. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's one of those things you want, you know, you're, you're working on a job where you're, you're reading or auditioning for something. You're thinking, well, why the fuck am I doing this? Like I don't, you know, yeah. this is not fun. This is not enjoyable. You know? So you, you end up in this sort of situation where you just start saying no to things um, for peace of mind, you know, um, and to protect yourself, really. 
Um, and if you say no to enough things, then nobody asks you to do anything um, because mm-hmm. you haven't sort of quite broken into that place where you want to be. Um, so for me, it kind of I parked I parked the aspirations really, and I sort of segued into writing, and I was doing a lot of writing for um, you know mainly in advertising for some huge directors. You know, I was working for production companies as an EP, where I was kind of like writing their. Um, working on the ad scripts that were coming from them, kind of shaping them the way they wanted them to be. And, I, and as I say, I got to work with some some really sort of, you know, massive, massive directors. But all I was doing was servicing other people's creativity and I wasn't making anything myself. Um, yeah. And I kind of knew that, that time was, was sort of running out if I wanted to do something. And I remember um, a couple of mates of mine had managed to get a film um, in development with the Safdie brothers who, uh, you know... Oh, wow. Off, yeah, and they were, they, were, they were off the back of... Um, uh good time and they were in they were in post on uncut gems and they had come across this short film that a friend of mine had made and they were interested in developing it into a feature and this was all underway and uh one of the guys had you know it was two of the two of the lads and my friends and they had sort of written this part in there for me and i thought this is the only way i'm really going to get back in the conversation you know if somebody who who knows me kind of hires me um and then when i actually went into pre-production started to cast it i couldn't even get a meeting for it you know like uh the uh oh. the, the, you know, the door was like firmly sort of shut in my face and i remember just sort of thinking like even when you know even when something's written for you the business is so often about value um and you know and and what it, perceived value for cast or or or, or whatnot um that you know, it doesn't really matter whether whether somebody's sort of championing you in certain situations. So I remember I was sitting outside a pub lamenting my sort of shitty luck with a mate of mine who was a camera op who'd worked on a lot of big feature films, big TV shows, but was really looking to break into DOP in himself, you know, kind of light and shooting his own things. And he sort of said to me, look, why don't we go and shoot a self-tape for this? You know, you can write, write yourself a scene, we'll go and shoot a self-tape, and it, you know, rather than you just sort of taping something and sending it, you know, against the white wall in your bedroom and sending it in, we'll, we'll do something proper. So we um, we broke into this old abandoned police station in the shittiest part of, of South London um, and shot this little, I wrote this little monologue the night before and we shot this sort of little scene um, that I'd written for this guy in a, in a, in a prison cell. Uh, it was about three minutes long and we pinged it into them. And as it turned out, that film went into turnaround. It never happened. They're still, it was with another production company and I was still trying to get it made. But I had this, three minute long short film that was all just me you know um and we thought well you know we may as well do something with it and we put it into a couple of film festivals and it just did we were just lucky it did really well it, it you know it played at some big uh international film festivals it got some attention within the advertising community and it won some awards and and all of a sudden you know for the first time in my career people were sort of slightly more interested in what i was doing and i made another short film after that with the same dop and then we went into lockdown and one of the directors who I'd been working with at this uh, at one of the production companies who had had made a couple of features himself was looking to uh, he was he's a really guy Matthias Hona directed Little Bone Lodge he's very very smart um, you know he's switched onto the industry and he was like look I think when we come out of COVID people are going to want to make films that you can make for like you know sub million dollars in our case it was still a lot lot less than that I can assure you but um, but he was like you know um, if we can, you know, your, both your short films are set in one location with one actor. So if you can kind of come up with something that exists in that sort of world, we can, you know, we can take it to this production company that he, he had a relationship with and see where it goes. And that's where it was born from, really. Uh, and it just became a family thing. So it was me and Matthias uh, and then Job, who was the DOP on all of my shorts, who came on board. And we shot a little proof of... The thing was, obviously, you know, I wrote it for me as an actor because I thought, well, if, you know, I'm going to do it, it's got to be for me. Um, yeah. And, you know... 
getting people to sign off on me in, the, in, in such a prominent role wasn't always going to be easy. So we went and we shot this little proof of concept um, short film, which cost about £150. We shot in a couple of hours in a mate's garage. Um, and that was enough to convince people that we could make a film that didn't look like it cost £150. Um, so they gave us a little bit more, but, you know, really not much more. So, uh, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of, I think how we made it is this is a 20 minute long answer for a short question, but yeah, how we made it not look like it was really cheap was just that it was a big step for everybody. You know, Matthias had made feature films. He had, he had done a 60 or $40 million Luc Besson movie, but it didn't pan out the way he wanted it to. So this was like, you know, he tells a great story where he was like, after, after he shot his, his, his first movie was a couple of million pound British film, which, which was surprisingly kind of a bit of a cult hit. Um, and then he made this, this big sort of Luc Besson film, um, that sort of unfortunately didn't quite do the business everyone expected it to. And he said his age, before the film, you know, before the film opened, his agent was like, look, next thing you're doing is going to be Marvel. It's going to be Star Wars. You know, we're talking like, we're talking big projects. And it comes out and they're like, right, so the next thing you're going to do is probably going to be British. It's probably going to be independent. You're probably going to write this <laughs> you know? yeah. So, uh, so he, he, he just, he just cared, you know, he really cared. Yeah. Everybody in the crew was stepping up. Uh, the camera department were the most experienced people we had on the crew because they, they were all, you know, they'd all been, they'd all just, you know, all very well established and they were all doing Job a favor because it was the first film he was shooting and he had the relationships he'd developed over years. And they'd all just walked off of a big, uh, Netflix TV series that they'd all been on together for six months. So I think they had a bit of coin in the pocket and were prepared to come and work for us for, you know, buttons and lint. But, um, really, you know, like our money, you know, our, our money is all on screen. There's like, you know, Matthias was photoshopping things, you know, building props himself the nights before we were shooting things in the morning. You know, it was proper guerrilla filmmaking. You know, you know, to get someone like Jolie Richardson to come onto our set, she must have walked on and thought, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> oh, she's been around, you know, she's done it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So um, the genesis of it. You know, it's funny trying to wrangle the type of film you've made, which if for people who haven't seen it, it looks like a big budget movie. It just looks like any resource you needed, you had everybody on the crew, everything was done perfectly. <laughs> and you yeah. know what? Honestly, movie I, magic, baby. Well, I think that's great, but me and Clark know that can hurt an indie film because people will come at you just as hard as they would with, and, and especially God, like a podcast like ours, we tend to not punch down. Or we try not to. Sometimes you can't help it. But when your film looks that good, I feel like you open it up for harsh criticism. People are just like, oh, fuck this movie. Like, well, I mean, we should have really got more for that money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really proud of the fact that, it, that you know, that you've said that. Especially, I mean, I'll definitely be telling Job to listen to this because he'll, he'll be loving this. Um, but I, I think, it, you know, it is a testament to the crew that we, that we assembled. You know, like people always blow smoke up everyone's ass and you know and after the shoot it's all back slappy and everything but honestly like a mate uh, another mate of mine gave me some really good advice before uh we shot the film when it was when i was making short films and he said look no one gives a fuck about your film as much as you do it's just a fact mm -mm. you know you, you really care maybe the dop cares maybe the lead actor cares but really the, the you know the the runners or you know no disrespect to, to runners in general but like you know a lot of the production assistants or or you know the some some of the some of the some other members of the crew there it's a it's, it's a job you know and and when this job's finished they'll move on to the next one and they're not creatively you know engaged necessarily in the project so he was like look if you can surround yourself by as many people who do give a fuck about your film it's going to be better 
And, you know, so when it came to crewing up, it was really, as I say, everyone was stepping up. Like our production um, uh, um, designer and art director, like it's her first film. She did an amazing job. Like, you know, she, she, she there, were, there were days where like literally like, she didn't have, there was no money and she was making things herself, you know, with her team. And like, you know, it, it was pretty incredible, like what everybody did and the energy on the set was really great. Um, you know, I say the energy on set was really great. It's, it's, it's going on a tangent now, but it's a hard film to make <laughs> because, because it, you know, because of the constraints you're under. And also it's a miserable film, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's bleak. Um, and, um, you know, there's not a lot of belly laughs in there. So it's about so, a mother's love, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't, so you know, energy, I don't know, Neil. I, you know, when I think of the movie, I, I, I was trying to understand what it would be like being a writer and then, uh, casted as one of the lead roles clearly yeah. you had a much different journey than i assumed but i kept thinking of scream in this movie i'm like if somebody else got their hand on that script it could have been a hacky horror movie but instead you yeah. kind of went for a very somber like serious tone which i was shocked i mean i watched a, I watched little bone lodge on tubi i did not expect the like real film i got yeah i mean the tubi thing's I mean, we, we don't have Tubi in the UK, so, you know, oh, I, I didn't... Really, then you don't have, have cinema, my friend. You're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> so Do you I know the reputation I, it has, Neil, in, like, America? Well, I some, I've done some research. I, I, you, can, you can inform me better. I have, I have what I think is, is, is the expectation of a Tubi film, but maybe you can tell me. I, well, I'd like to hear what you think the expectation is first. I'm probably going to get myself in some trouble now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I mean, the film's out. I don't really care. So we 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 had a distributor that came on board from the US that wanted to pick up the film and distribute in in the states. And they had a big conversation with us. They invited me and Matthias onto a call and talked about theatrical release and talked about you know where it would live. And it was all very very exciting. And then three four months went by and they sent us an email to say we've you know we're a to be exclusive or whatever it is. Uh, uh, and both of us were like, what the fuck is Tubi? And, <laughs> um, you know, this is not, this is not what you, this is not what you pitch. Um, and then I looked yeah. at Tubi and I looked at, you know, what Tubi exclusives are or whatever. And I mean, they're not the sort of film, like you say, I'm quite glad that you kind of highlighted that they're not necessarily the sort of film that, you know, that we have, that, that, that I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's a different type of film, really. I think a lot of the films on there, I and mean, they have some amazing, they have an amazing back catalogue of films, un unquestionably. There are some, mm -hmm. some really superb films on there, but in terms of their sort of a exclusive content or original content, it, I, I did sort of feel like, oh, okay, it, it felt like perhaps we, you know, um, I don't know. It wasn't what I thought was going to happen with the film. It wasn't what they said that was going to happen with the film. So it did feel like maybe we'd been palmed off a little bit, to be honest. I feel like Tubi has gained a lot of steam, especially in the past year alone. Um, right. And Tubi has become a refuge for um, movie fans and horror fans in general. And I think as far as the Tubi originals go, I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're just buying a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. And I think right. that they're trying to figure out exactly, you know, what they want those. I, I was telling you about a Tubi original the other day. That, yeah, you were. That, yeah. That, that, that sort of fell outside of the lines of, you know, what I had perceived a Tubi original yeah. to be. And uh, certainly was the same for Little Bone Lodge. So I think that, or The Last Exit, as it is now known, the Tubi yeah. app. 
Um, yeah. So it's it's one of those things where I, I think that they're just growing as a brand, and especially as, as a free movie app with you know, and the commercials. It's not intrusive. Yeah, no. You know, I really think they've got a good thing going, and uh, we're we're big Tubi fans over here. They um, we are big fans, and as horror fans, Tubi is a it's a it's an oasis out there. They have a lot of weird shit that you, you know, back in the day, the ad thing used to turn a lot of people off. But yet now I don't even think about it. And I jump in there and we talked to so many indie horror filmmakers. They're like, that's the only place you can go without like distro or even with to make money because Amazon doesn't really pay out like it used to. So yeah. the thing is, I think there was no culture for Tubi. And it was just kind of like uh, low-budget Netflix, and now it's kind of garnered respect, oddly, and especially among genre fans. So, it's and really interesting that you say all this because I've actually had two or three people. Because you know, I say more than that, I, I, it's been nice sort of people reaching out on social media and stuff to sort of say that they'd seen the film, and a lot of people had said that they, you know, that the it was much like you said, well, echoed your sentiment that it has become like a, a playground for horror films and genre films, oh, yeah. and it's like. The, the, you know uh there was one sort of critic that seemed to have a, quite a big following who was saying it you know she thinks some of the best horror films she's seen all year have been you know they've been the films that she's found on tubi so you know, it, it did it, it did make me sort of feel better about um you know or bring more awareness to, to what it was to me because I, I really didn't know yeah i mean the joke there bringing it up originally was that it was the like low budget netflix and people were just like right. fucking tubi nobody watches and then slowly it's like fuck, yeah. dude. They got they're building. Yeah, yeah. I, but they do weird shit too. They do regulars. They have a lot of slashes in there, and like you know, Terror Train, the original yeah. with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yo, you don't oh, watch yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they made they did a requel to it, and it did so well that a month later they had part two out. <laughs> they made a full movie in a month based on yeah. So they do some gnarly stuff over there, and. I, they're out here too. They're in the Bay Area. What is it? Was Neil Breen the executive producer? They just pumped it out in a month. Yeah, they flipped it. Jeez. Yeah. So I don't know. I honestly, I think what your film's going to do to people is uh, shock them because you jump right. into Little Bone Lodge like I did. I think that was my only real critique of the film. Oh, yeah. Was that it was kind of horror light. Like I went into it thinking schlocky dark house film. Uh, robbers are going to show up. Mayhem's going to happen. Everybody's goofy. I'm kind of like half watching the movie, like that kind, and it was not that experience. That's really interesting <laughs> to hear. No, no, it's really interesting to hear because this is this is another thing as well. So, like you know, working with Matthias was really interesting because you know, like tonally, we we both come from quite different places. You know, like the, his his first film was a horror comedy, and if, if you've not seen it, it sounds like something you really like. It's called um, uh, it's called Cockneys versus Zombies. Um, okay, yeah. You know, yeah, and, it, it, and 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 as I say, that was like you know really quite successful. And then he his his second film was was called The Warrior's Gate, and it was like an action martial arts epic set out in feudal Japan. So he kind of tends to lean more into a commercial space, whereas I'm sort of like a miserable fucker, and I like films like yeah. you know uh, uh, Blue Ruin. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, oh yeah, a, love it. Yeah, and um, my sensibilities lean into things like that, which a little bit you know I, I guess less commercial kind of a bit more abstract there was a there was a really great british film that i don't know if it ever got it over to the states but in the uk it was called calm with horses and it was starring uh barry keoghan who's in um saltburn at the minute and um sure. uh, uh, uh another guy um 
oh, it's terrible. I forget his name now, but he's he's very a Cosmo Jarvis, um, and it's it's really great setting. You know, in a, about about sort of two friends involved in the criminal lifestyle set in a in rural Ireland, but it's fucking great, really really good. And I like those sort of films that are just raw and really gritty, and you know, um, there's no. There's no sort of polish to them, really. Um, they look great aesthetically. They look, you know, things like another thing would be like um, the Lynn, uh, the um, you, you were you were never really there. The um, mm-hmm. the uh, Whacking Phoenix film, you know, um, which uh, directed by um, what's that chops? Uh, brain's not working today. Yeah, um, in Ramsey, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Lynn Ramsey, and that film's just amazing. Uh, uh, but again, it's 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 really real. Like it's like you know, there's no there's there's no schlock in it at all. And yeah, it's visceral. Really, yeah, and Matthias and I from the get go, that was the plan. And obviously, being fi- some of our financing came from the US, and there was always like a push to try and make it a little bit more international because when you make a film that's wholly British. You know, it's set in the Scotch Highlands, so they were like, "Don't want any Scotch accents in it." And it's like, "Well, how's that going to work?" Um, and uh, you know, um, there was the, I think you know, Mama was written as a sort of sixty-year-old Scottish or fifty-year-old Scottish woman, and first person that they asked us to cast was thirty years old and American and smoking hot. You know, um, <laughs> and it was like, I don't know. Do you want to make the film that we want to make? So the two of us kind of fought as best we could to get it. To, to make it as kind of, you know, dirty as we could um, or as, as stripped back as we could. And I think that we we probably found, I think we probably both would have liked to have pushed it a bit more that way, but we we found a happy medium, I guess, with what financiers wanted and and what we were really pushing for. And and what's great is, like you say, it it's found the genre audience seem to to be be okay with where it sits. It's not, you know, it's kind of in that place that's, you know, that, that, that has enough of what we want and enough of what, somebody else wants to make it kind of still work. Calm with horses did make it over here too. Uh, right. They are your buddy on Tubi. So oh, anybody yeah. listen, and, and it looks fantastic. I looked it, it up while you were really, talking about it. I'll definitely be it, checking that out. It's really, really good. It is really good. Well, so, there you go. Oh, okay. Well, I have a Tubi. question. So you, you're talking about how you, you mentioned trying to work with the Safdie brothers, which is not exactly what I expected coming in here, but you yeah, clearly yeah. have like film highbrow taste. So when you have yeah. the director of Cockney versus Zombies taking hold of your script, is there a part of you that's worried, like, like just as being an actor in a movie that you wrote but now are not directing, was there a tug of war at all for tone or control? I mean, that's such a good question, um, and it's you know, it, and the, the answer is to, to be perfectly honest is that like I learned a lot about myself making this film. Um, everything that I had written. Up to that point, I directed myself out of necessity because, you know, nobody else was interested in what I was doing. The, the, the reality is the film would not exist if Matthias hadn't been the one that was a kind of a, a huge driving force behind it. He was the one that came to me in the first place and was like, you know, let's make a film and let's make yeah. a film that plays to, that plays to your strengths as a, as a you know, writer and an actor. You, you'll be in it and I'll direct it. So from the get-go, you know, I came up with an idea, pitched it to him, um, we talked about it and then I went away. I put together a, a pitch treatment, which was the thing that the financiers, you know, they never gave us any money, but they were like, sure, we like this. You know, if you, if the script delivers on the promise of the treatment, then we're interested. So then I went away and wrote the script on spec and he was always checking in. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like this director came out of nowhere. He was aware of the project from its, you know, inception. So we had those conversations and, and yeah, totally there are always going to be things that, that I don't agree with. 
But ultimately, I've got to accept that I'm not directing the film. And just because it's something that, you know, that I don't agree with, it doesn't mean what he wants to do is wrong. And that's something that you have to, you have to learn as you're going through to sort of check your, I guess, not, it's not even ego. It's sort of check your kind of like your uh, stubbornness at the door and be, be a willing collaborator and just kind of make sure that, you know, understand that he wants to make the best film that he can make with, with what we have. And, you know, I've got to, he, he, he used a really good analogy where he's like, think of it like a sandbox, you know, you've got to let everybody have time to play with the, you know, to play with the, the, to build their sandbox, (laughs) you know, like, because if you come in, you're trying to control everything, it's just not going to be what you want it to be. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are a few things in the film that, 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 that that don't go the way that they went in my head when I was writing it or when I was thinking about it, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of okay with it because it's not, it doesn't mean that it's not right, you know, um, but yeah, it, is, it was a, it was a continuing, evolving process. I think. All right, what's the number one thing Mateus got wrong? <laughs> <laughs> You're like he fucked this scene up. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, in my head, I always imagine on this show um, when we started it, we wanted guests related to films, and it quickly turned into only directors. And it's mostly yeah. because you know they can kind of comment on any aspect <laughs> of the film. But I've learned I kind of like talking to the writers because, you know, we're like the story came from. And I when when y'all were meeting, talking about if we're going to make a movie, we got to make the movie. Well, how did you settle on a crime drama that stumbles into like an old dark house movie? Well, so he comes from a, you know, like a a, a real steeped interest in horror films. I think Uh, a lot of the projects that he was developing were were kind of from that world. I'm a massive, massive shitbag. I don't really watch horror films. But then at the same time, I've got to say that horror films are generally some of the best structured films of all time are horror films. Um, You know, whether it's the investigation story that you might get through something like The Ring um, or whether it is, you know, the 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 haunted house that you get in alien or the, you know, the, 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 the way the narrative unfolds in, in psycho. I mean, they, they, these films are usually when they're done correctly, that they blow everything else out of the water um, with their structure. So, you know, I, I sort of grew up probably, I think I'm probably a shade older than you guys. Um, uh, but we're probably all around the same sort of time yeah. period. And, you know, and, um, and I remember like, you know, in the late nineties when the internet was just sort of like, yeah, you have to dial it up and everything. It'd take forever. So you didn't have the access to be able to research films quite like you can now. So some of the best films I ever saw in my life were films that I watched at like, you know, like a zombie, a teenage zombie lying on the sofa and the one o'clock in the morning movie started on Sky, like HBO or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll watch this. I didn't know anything about it. And I watched like The Usual Suspects or like uh, Seven or like primal fear or something like that where your mind just gets absolutely fucking blown by the revelations in it or the or the way the story is told or the performances or whatever it would be so i always wanted to tell a story that had a degree of complexity in it but the complexity being being through characterization and and knowing that we couldn't go anywhere like we had a film that, that we had no money so like everything in that film is on that one location like all the, the exteriors like the farm the, the actual house itself it's all a real place you know and it's all within 20 minutes drive of london because we couldn't afford to go further away <laughs> you know so the, the a lot of the other stuff is matte paintings and comps and, and 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 matthias himself drove up to scotland about two weeks after we shot the film to get some drone stuff for the highlands but re- really it is it is all it is all that one house um so 
I, I knew that I had to set this. I knew that, 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 that you know, I was writing to a budget, it was writing to a, a single location and trying to keep the cast to a minimum. So they were the things, they were the parameters I had to work between, like write a film that exists in one house with less than five actors. And then it's like, okay, so how do we make that compelling? So we need to, we need to make sure that there are reveals, story reveals. We need to make sure that the drama comes through the way that the characters interact with each other. So we need to have everybody kind of at odds with each other or having, you know, things that they don't want each other to know about. And I also wanted to be a clever fucker and I wanted to put a couple of things in there which were, you know, which misdirected people so that, you know, they would they would sort of, you know, enjoy it and then maybe if they could be bothered, watch it again to look for the look for the, you know, the the, the red flags or whatever. Um so so yeah, that's where it came from. And I like crime films, you know. that those are my favorite films, you know, if it gun to head, um, you know, it's those sort of films that I've talked about, the ones that that, that I just I'm always drawn to watching. So I, I kind of wanted to write something that existed in that world. Now, Neil, what, what I'm going to do, this is the point in the show where I turn everything over. <laughs> so I, I want to go back in time, Neil, to where, yeah. uh, to your acting days, because I was looking oh, yeah. at your, your IMDB here oh, and there's something that, that I do want to talk about because uh, we, we've talked to, you know, we've been doing the show eight years, I think. And we've talked to uh, a ton of, of British filmmakers and we've, we, and we, ha- we've built a, you know, a steady little British audience. And, and I am, uh, I'm a bit, I, I, I consider myself to be the bit, the biggest, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, British fan okay. of, uh, television and, and film. And I am a, uh, active box subscriber yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth. And uh, yeah. I want to talk about, uh, EastEnders for a second, yeah, cause I think yeah. it's a very, <laughs> I think it's a very interesting thing, and I I, 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 I also think it's it's sort of it's you know definitely foreign for American audience to see because like with the sort of British television model, you know it's uh, you only do a few series of a show and then it's done. I feel like yeah. in America we draw things out, but then you have EastEnders, which has been going on since you know the early eighties. Thousands and thousands and thousands of shows. And I think that, you know, the American version of that was kind of be like the law and orders that we have. And those sort of television shows act as, you know, training grounds for a lot of New York actors uh, because there's, you know, they, you know, it's a, it's an institution here in the States where, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to go through there. And a lot of actors get their chops, you know, going through sort of all the law and orders and all those procedurals. So in, in Britain, you know, is it sort of a thing where it's sort of a rite of passage to, to have a, a, a guest spot on EastEnders? I think so. A hundred percent. I think it's like, you know, um, you, you're absolutely right. If you, if you you take pretty much any mainstream US actor at the moment, and you stick his name into IMDb, you're probably going to find that he was in an episode of of something like you know uh, NYPD Blue or like uh, yeah uh, Homicide or or DSI or whatever it is um, and uh, CSI. Sorry, um, and I think it's the same. You'll find most actors in the UK have got an EastEnders credit somewhere. And if it's not EastEnders, there's another show called Casualty, which was like you know basically like a mm-hmm budget version of er um or or something like that there was, an, there was another police procedural thing called the bill they were the did you ever get a spot on delil and pasco uh, no, no, no i mean this is the thing right you know uh i think i think that the the tv tv in the uk it's like it is tricky because we don't make as much you know we don't make as much yeah. tv and um it's so competitive man you know it's like it's such you know being an actor, like you could be, you could be even, you know, go into an amazing audition, but they probably saw, I mean, let's say they saw just 10 guys for your part 
and six of them were right and three of them were great. And you were lucky to be one of those that were great. You still got to be the lucky one out of the three to get the job, you know? So it's, um, it's, it's, it's very competitive. And I think sometimes, you know, like for me, I think EastEnders is, is a, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a fun nod. I did, there is a little fun nod in there for Little Bo Nodge and EastEnders. So I went in. And I oh, did no. A, yeah, I did a very, very, very small uh, role in EastEnders and I played a police officer called PC Adams. And uh, I remember that when I was writing Little Bone Lodge, I had to come up with a name for a police officer character and I just called <laughs> him PC Adams. So there was another podcast that I went on where somebody flagged on, on that and they were like, oh, so, you know, is, you, you should continue it. So I've got something else in development now where there's a PC Adams that pops up and I think I might make it my, uh, <laughs> my, make calling it my card, right? sneak yeah. PC Adams anywhere I can. <laughs> That's great. I love good politically correct Adams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Are you are you good with the the Brit box talk? Yeah, I okay. just I had to sneak that in. I know he he was very excited when he saw that you were on that show, and it's not nice. a bit. I don't know what's wrong with him. No, because I, you know I made my point. It was like you know it's an institution over there. It's an interesting thing, you know. Well, one, because one, like one I said. One of my very close friends is 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 uh is one of the leads in it at the moment. He's been in it now for. I know he's probably uh, maybe coming on a couple of years now, and he's you know, oh, done, he's a baby. Yeah, yeah, it's done. It's done some great things for him, you know, like really kind of helped to elevate his profile, and it's been a great experience for him. And I think you know, it's it, there's a lot of value in it. Um, so yeah. Now, very quickly, uh, I mean, just while we're talking about British television, what's the deal with Coronation Street? Well, that's another one, isn't it? It's EastEnders, Coronation Street, yeah. and the Bell. <laughs> since the sixties. Yeah, you got to get on that. If you've not seen Coronation Street in Emmerdale, you've got to line those ones up. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, but going back to like, you know, your the audition process as an actor, like, yeah. you know, um, did you did you sort of, do you, did you have sort of a method for, for auditions? Like, is there something that you would try to do to stand out from the thing of, you know, you keep, you know, it's, it's a meat parade, you know, just constantly coming in and out. So what do you, what did you do anything to sort of stand out in that process? Or you just, you know, signed up for the misery and it's, it's going to be what's going to be. It's really funny because the thing that I've just written, which is in development at the moment, which I mean, which is the next thing that I'm hoping to get done, which is mine is called meat as in M-E-A-T, Blake, Blake Forder. And it's about an actor who basically sort of is a cross between, I guess, like the king of comedy meets American Psycho. It's about an actor who just snaps. Sign me up. On, a, on a murder spree. Um, and it it, 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 it it sort of features a lot of that, you know, this sort of idea of being a piece of meat, just sort of, you know. I think that I just basically, from a, an audition point of view, I didn't get many. I didn't get many of them. And I fucked a lot of them up, you know, um, just because you're going into this room. I think especially when you're a younger actor, it's a lot about sort of controlling your, you know, your nerves because it's like, this is my opportunity. I've got to get this right. I can't fuck this up. And you go in and you inevitably fuck it up. And then you walk out and you're like, oh God, like, you know, when I've been doing it in the mirror at home, it was so good. Um, and yeah. it's like, you know, and it's, it's awful. And I think that, that, you know, as I say, when when things started to slow up for me and I stepped away from it for a while, I developed a bit of like an indifference to it all because I had another career. I had a, you know, when I was married, a couple of kids, and you know, or I had one kid at the time, and um, you know, had, a, uh, had, had life was just sort of doing what it, what it needed to do. I was happy, and I so you know, so I I shot the I shot the film Little Bone Lodge, and 
then for the first time, when the film came out for the first time in my career ever, people were actually actively interested in it, you know, and I went in for, to, to meet an audition for some really, really cool things. And I guess there is an indifference that you have, which is like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to do my best interpretation of what I've read on the page. They're going to either like me and I'm going to be right or they're, it's, they're not. And I can't control yeah. that and I can't do anything about it. So there's no point in worrying about it. There's no point in trying to be, you know, sort of the, the, the crazy guy. Like, here's the thing, like you guys obviously have things in the, in the States like X Factor and, and like American Idol and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I was in such a weird place in my career. I genuinely, because I'd never really had any sort of proper success. I genuinely didn't know whether I was that guy who goes into American Idol in like the white linen suit that's absolutely off his fucking nut. He's crazy and he doesn't, <laughs> he can't sing and he doesn't understand why Simon Cowell won't put him through. And he's like, oh, please, Simon, you know, I've got the talent. And it's like, you know, I just did, you know, you hope that you're not that person, but you're like, well, maybe I am. Maybe that's like, maybe this is like, I'm on a hiding to nothing. And then, you know, I remember when the film came out, and um, you know, we, we, we got a good reception and somebody sort of said to me, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel fucking relieved that I, that I haven't basically been a complete lunatic for 20 years, you know? So yeah. that so, imposter yeah. syndrome's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So I think from that yeah. point on, I don't, I love the work. I really love the work and I love auditioning. Yeah. I love preparing the, the part, but I really can, you know, much, much, much better just sort of do it and be, be done and be okay with it. Um, you know? Yeah, you're not crazy. When um, Oksana had told me that the writer reached out, I was like, rad, I love talking to a writer. She's like, oh, he acted in the movie too. My my gut reaction was, oh, who the fuck was he? Because, you know, normally you're not going to be the lead or you're not right. going to have the, the light on you because I think you did one, as somebody who watches a lot of indie horror, uh, the script was very engaging and you navigated the tropes very well for not being a huge horror fan. Like you, you paid respect to him and uh, you caught me off guard several times while oh. I was never not engaged with the movie. So it was really good. So I had expected for you to be almost like an egomaniac who's like, oh, and he's going to act in the movie too. But then I was like, wait, no, you were good in the movie too. So honestly, <laughs> I think uh, the only problem I could see is that you are um, you have a, a problem with your look. You just look like a, a good looking dude. And, the, and you're like a dime a dozen in film, honestly. Yeah, go get some scars on your face. Yeah. Right? Wear That's an eye patch to the next audition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll remember. No, it, 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 it is funny because, like, the last couple of things I've done, I have been fucked up. You know, like Jack is basically battered throughout that entire film and just sort of yeah. gets systematically more broken down. And the, and the you know, some things I've done before that were, were you know, like with facial scarring and, and stuff. Um, because I guess it's a bit of armor that you can put up so that you can, it's easier maybe to, to slip into something else or be seen in a different way. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you've said those, you know, those, those positive things about the writing and the performance. I would say like, I, I, I do love, I mean, I, I've got huge respect and knowledge for horror films. I'm just a shit bag. I just like, I just wouldn't choose to sit and watch like, you know, like something like Hereditary is incredible. It's an incredible piece of filmmaking yeah. and I'll watch that, but I wouldn't watch like Terrifier. I just, it just, it wouldn't be the thing that I would go to, you know, because for me, it's yeah. just like, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I respect it. I respect the, the filmmakers that are making those films, but you know, or something like if I saw, I saw, I remember one Halloween, my wife and I were thinking, well, what should we watch? And we flicked through some trailers and I saw the trailer for, um, what was it called? 
It was a thing with Patrick Wilson in it, and it just oh, which lit. one? The uh, Conjuring? No, Insidious. No, <laughs> I think it might have been the Conjuring. <laughs> it was a while back, but there was a trailer, and all of a sudden, this like spooky kid's face like popped up at like, and I was like, "The fuck! That, that's enough." That's like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to watch the Candy Man. He can't hurt me. So, yeah. uh, so, so I went and watched that. But, but you know, some of these horror films, things like you know, Talk to Me and, and the Badder Book, and you know, that this is incredible filmmaking. And you know, I um, so I, I'm very aware of of, of, of horror. So, you know. Uh, I'm glad that you thought I got it, got it right. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. And again, your taste would align directly with our engineers. You right. like he would definitely watch anything A24 put out, but any Terrifier sequel, I don't. I wouldn't even ask him about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're, yeah. you know, honestly, it's kind of perfect uh, that you're here with us because I think we have a good range there. We like international, yeah. we like art house, and then we like uh, schlocky Tommy Wiseau crap. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah. yours is a little bit more in the highbrow, like film end of it. Thank but again, you. you're on Tubi. So yeah. <laughs> there's a balance. Yeah, it is. It's, I think, honestly, if you're having any. Wait, can I ask you about the double title? Is that just an American thing or did Tubi come up with Little Bone Lodge? Again, it was like, I remember we were on a call and they were like, yeah, we, we were on a call and they were like, you know, the, the distributor were like, um, so, you know, the only, they, they butted us all up with everything, you know but it was going to go theatrical. It's going to do this, do that. And they're like, oh, the only thing is we, it was really casually dropped in. They're like, oh, we want to change the title. Like, okay. Um, what do you want to call it? And they had another title for it. It wasn't the last exit, but it just didn't mean anything. It was just like a, you know, they wanted to call it something else. And, but it had absolutely no bearing or relevance on the film at all. And we were like, well, why do you mm-hmm. want to call it that? And they, they sort of said, well, because we think that little, but little by Nodge sounds like a schlocky horror film. And we want to sort of sell it more as a sort of a classy thriller, which is what we think it is. And, you know, I could get on board with that. And I was like, okay, cool. So they were very kind and they let us sort of send a couple of suggestions. And one of them was a variation of, of the last exit. I think, it, I think I came up with an idea, uh, the last exit to nowhere. Um, and then they just shortened that to the last exit, but it's only in the U S I think everywhere else it's little bone lodge. Maybe in Latin America, they, there's the Spanish version of little bone lodge. It's like uh, something else, but. That, that was it. I know the thing I always wanted to call it originally was the the, I, the title I liked the most was No Place Like Home because I feel oh. like, you know, it has a double meaning, you know, because it's, it's you know, there's the, the warming sense of there's no place like home. But then when you actually think about it, this is no one's home. So this is no place like like a home. Um, I thought it was me? clever. But, but, yeah, yeah know, it is. I, was, I, got, I got shut down early, early bells. Well, trust Tubi. That's what we know. <laughs> trust Tubi, Neil. They know what they're dude, doing. I mean, Neil, we talked to so many filmmakers, dude. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We talked to so many filmmakers who were like, why did they put a, a lady on the cover being dragged into a cave? Like, that's not yeah. the movie that we made. And no. I, what I always say is they know how to sell a movie at Walmart. I don't know. And I mean, yeah, yeah. As, as a horror fan, when you kind of jump into these, you're used to being betrayed by a cover. But right, like right. Little Bone Lodge, I don't. I like that title more. Yeah, yeah, I was cool with it. I was yeah. happy with it. It was called that from the very first draft. I mean, like you know, we 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 it was called that from the treatment, and then it was the financier that asked us to kick around a couple of different ideas, and that's where No Place Like Home came from, and Last Exit to Nowhere and stuff. And then it was only when the film was released; it had already been out in the UK when when they picked it up in the US, and then they changed the title. And I, be, I think we were a bit like, well, why don't you just sort of piggyback off of the success that it's having here? You know, calling it something else, you're just going to confuse people. And they were like, no, 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 don't worry about it. 
<laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they know what they're doing. But <laughs> somebody who well, watched I mean, the to movie. Be honest, to be honest, I think I think it's finding an audience, you know. And you know, obviously you yeah. guys found it. Um which is amazing. So so yeah, I mean you, know, you can't it's one of the ones where you always want it, you always want something to be as big as it can be. But the film's already massively overachieved. You know, the fact that like we, we, I t- you know, you've touched on it in terms of like, you know, auditioning and being an actor. And I touched on value early on. There is, there is an argument to say that like, you know, me being in the film and in itself is just a fucking huge win for me because, you know, when you, you're asking someone to put money into this film, they've got to look at it and say, all right, well then I need to, you know, we need a minimum guarantee on that, you know, that we're going to get our money back. That we're going to be able to sell this thing. And you take it to a distributor or, you know, you take it to someone like Netflix or you take it to, Amazon or whatever, and they're like, okay, this is the package we've got. You know, we need you know, this is what we want to sell the film, sell the film to you for. And they're like, who's in it? You know, Neil Limpow's in it. I'm like, who? I'm like Neil Limpow, he's the lead. And I'm like, fuck off. We'll give you fifty p. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's just like, you know. So they had to take. I had to have people like Matthias who believed in me, and I had to have the you know the the producers who who, who believed in me, and then obviously I had to convince them that I was you know wasn't like it wasn't an ego entirely an ego thing to cast yourself in the in a lead it was you know it was written it was written to, to give myself an opportunity but like it was i don't think i was as i say i don't think i was completely deluded so i and i had to back myself i mean if they had come at me the, the reality was they were never going to come at us with someone like tom hardy and be like oh look we've got tom hardy interested he wants to do it because then if they'd done that then then i'd be an i'd be an idiot to go oh well no you're not making the film unless i'm playing jack i'd be like fucking sweet you're gonna pay me some more money then you know yeah. um, Whereas, whereas it was never going to be Tom Hardy. It would have been another British actor who was, you know, probably very good as an actor. He'd probably been in a bunch of things that you've seen here and there, but it wouldn't have been Tom Hardy. It would have just been someone who's just like, he still has no, no one seeing at home on Netflix would have flicked through and gone, oh, it's the new, you know, Joe Bloggs movie. I'll watch that. Yeah. They, they might be like, oh, that's that bloke that was in this thing, you know, but it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have changed anything. So you're like, well, what? fucking difference does it make you know um so yeah kind of all right <laughs> neil uh you know as as an actor in, in britain and you know i i think that we have a um an understanding here in america that british actors are more talented than american actors <laughs> uh especially especially with language so my question to you neil is how is your american accent it's pretty good you know my wife's american <laughs> So I'm. Uh, oh, you hear I'm it? Oh, that, oh, that's a cheat code. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So I'm around it all day, um, and um, yeah, no, it's it's, it's pretty good. I, I, I've just done I've just done a couple of things where I've played an American. So uh, yeah, uh, you'll get to you'll get to hear it more. I hope over the next like next couple of years or so. But it's been interesting because you know, like after the uh, after the film came out. I had this, like, you know, it did it did sort of open some doors for me, and I and I went through the casting process on an American TV series, which was going to be huge. It was like you know a very very big, um, huge sort of blockbuster director, very well known, and it's a TV series that was going to shoot in Australia for six months. It was the first of first book of of uh, four books in a in a series, and they did like a worldwide. This sounds like bullshit. It's going to end up making me sound like I'm just an <laughs> bullshit merchant, but. Um, I, I went, I, they, they did a, I'm hard of hearing in my right ear. I'm, I'm partially deaf. And this, uh, they were looking for an actor that was, was, was partially deaf or, or, or hard of hearing. And they did this worldwide search 
they tried to cast it because the show the show was set in Australia and they tried to cast it out in Australia and they tried to cast it in the States and they tried to cast it in the UK. And eventually, I, you know, I came into the process around March time last year and I went through four months of casting on this thing. And I got offered the role in June of 2023 and my whole family and I were going to relocate to Australia for six months to shoot the show. And obviously with the two strikes back to back, it just got, just got killed. Um, there's the, you know, oh. the hoping that there's, there's a possibility that it, it might come back. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard anything that to the, that, you know, that makes me think that it is going to come back. They're still sort of looking to try and put it back together, but I guess schedules move around and people go on to do other things and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it, it's, it, it, this ties in a little bit to what I was saying earlier about the auditioning process. Like when, when I got offered that, I kind of knew I've done this once I can do this again. Um, yeah, I was also heartbroken because I was like, well, this was like, you know, what I've been trying to do for the last 15 years, you know, and now I've got this massive opportunity and it's just fucking disappearing and I can't do anything about yeah. it. But I was also a bit hard, you know, a bit hardened by knowing that like, well, I can, I can do it again. And, um, that I would have been playing an Australian. So I would have been going, jumping around the accents. I'd have gone English, American, <laughs> Australian. Uh, What's uh is the American accent or the Australian accent harder for you? I mean, I find I don't find either of them that hard. I think the Australian accent is much is much more natural to to a Brit because it's really much closer to us. It's it's yeah, just mm-hmm. like talking slightly lazier, you know. You, you talk slightly lower, <laughs> yeah. slightly Ooh, I lazier. Like that. Um, it, yeah. it's really not that far. Whereas, like an American accent, you have to drop a little bit lower in your throat. Yeah, you're a bit more. Sometimes you can be a bit more nasally, or you know, I don't know. But it's um, for me, I find both accents to be relatively easy to there you go yeah i could tell <laughs> see now, now 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 you just got to work on the on the american southern accent like i have yeah, you know yeah. slow so it's sort of that in between with the australian you know and the yeah, british yeah. you know you just kind of ease in there yeah <laughs> he's like no nope. yeah. <laughs> well neil I, just... I gotta tell you man i hope and believe me this is a compliment i hope you keep writing i'm like oh, oh thanks, no dude. don't take him away into acting land I know that's all the fame and the glory and probably what you've wanted to do forever, but I like, I like the movie you wrote, man. And oh, thanks, man. I, I think, you know, as a genre fan, we don't get a lot of interesting exploration or like fusion of genres. And I, I don't know, I'd hate to lose you to acting, even though you probably well, have more I money. I, get, I, hope <laughs> I, make, I hope I get to make meet Blake Forder because I think, you know, you know, that's written, that script is out there at the moment. And we're looking to try and piece it, you know, put it, put, you know, put it together. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that, 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 that script's done. And that, I think you'll like that. It's, that goes crazy. It goes to a place. Sure. Yeah. We're watching you. Yeah. Whatever you end up doing, we're going to. Would you let Neil make a living, please? No, I want him to do what I want him to do. And that's make more <laughs> of these good. I want to like be surprised again on Tubi and be like, fuck, Neil made another one. I'm right. shocked. Yeah. It's fucking, think- we're, we're dealing with the genre. You know, here's, here's the thing. This is how much, and I know I talked about this a little bit. But now that you're here, I can ask you. Indie films, especially in horror, normally the location is somewhere they live. And you can yeah. tell. It's like, dude, take your fucking horror. It's like if we made a movie and filmed it in here and there's horror movie posters all over the wall. Yeah, it yeah, fucking yeah. ruins it for me. It's like way to destroy any immersion. And then there are things that they can't deliver on. And, you know, maybe they'll destroy a house or perhaps have somebody uh, chained to a wall. 
And it always feels like the mechanics weren't really there. The things are glued there. Yet in your film, I was shocked at how real it felt like those shackles were in the wall. And so where is this location and how did you pull that off? Well, this is, this is, this is funny. So, you know, it was written, set in a farm, obviously. And myself and Matthias and the producer, Mark, very early on, we, we had no money to pay a location scout or anything. So very early on, we just basically, you know, uh, went on a locations website that specialized in farm locations. And we, we booked to go and see three farms across one afternoon. We got in, uh, his camper van and we drove around all day looking at these different locations. One of them happened to be in Westerham, which is about 20 minutes outside of London, which is about 10 minutes away from where the producer lived. And he was like, this will never be, you know, it's, it's too good to be true. It will never be this place. And we arrived and we walked around it and we was like, okay, so it's got a trap door that looks like it could go down into a basement. It's got, you know, it's got, um, what they call, you know, barns. It's got like enough space where we could find a trail that could be the road where the car has crashed. It's got, you know, it, the house was huge. We, we barely scratched the surface of the rooms in there. Like, you know, we, we shoot, we show like three rooms because we didn't have enough time. We shot the film in 20 days. We didn't have enough time to light and shoot any other rooms. But like you could, you, the, the house had like two stairways in and out of it. Inside, so you can actually, it took a couple of days to get orientated because you get lost in there. It's like a really fucking, really cool house. And, and basically it had been, been this farmhouse that was like in this family for three generations and when the grandparents had died the their the children who were themselves you know we uh, had their own grown-up children they didn't want to disturb the house so they kind of just shut it down and they they lived in other houses off on the on the back side of the farm and this place was just sort of kept pretty much as like a you know like a, a kind of a memoriam to their parents you know and they would rent it out periodically for photo shoots and things so that's why it has that sort of 1950s kind of sort of feel to it, you know, um, because it's, it's, you know, it's been largely untouched. So we saw that place and we were like, too good to be true, surely. And then we went and we saw two other places and inevitably we went and ended up using the place that we saw first. You know, the very first place was 10 minutes away from the producer's house. Um, in terms of the, you know, the things like the chains and the shackles, I mean, that's all the production designer and Matthias being clever, you know, so the production designer sort of like that was, I think it was like poly gripped onto the wall that, that, that basement that we're in is actually a shed outside. And it was like, when I say the shoot was brutal, it was like, we shot it in February in England, uh, when it was freezing cold and like, you know, pissing with rain. And that was an uninsulated shed that we were in for the whole day. And Harry, who plays Matty was lying on the floor all day and like, Harry is absolutely, he's, he's very, you know, to meet him, he's like a proper lad. Like he's like, like a ladies man, a real like, you know, he's a really confident sort of laddie bloke. Very, very sort of different to, to the Matty character. And we sort of got in there in the morning and he was full of beans and he was like, you know, and he's, he, you know, he, he has a process in the way he works as well. And he wants to be immersed as much as he can be in it. So he lay down on the floor and they're like, Harry, do you want us to put you down a mat so that you can lie on it? And he's like, no, 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 I don't, don't need that. And I was like, I'm a little bit older than Harry, you know. So I was like, uh, I was like, you know, it's gonna get, it's gonna get really cold, mate. And when that, when that, you know, if you lie on the floor there, that cold's gonna get into your bones. And you're not gonna be able to get that out. No matter cup, no mats, a cups of tea or hot water bottles is gonna sort that out. He's like, no, no, you're all right, mate. You're all right. And as the day went on, he just basically sort of like melted away. <laughs> he was just doing bits. He was in absolute bits. But that was like an exterior shed with no insulation. It was freezing fucking cold. It was horrible. But obviously, you know, we we, we still couldn't mess with the house too much. So it was like kind of poly gripped onto the wall. And then we, you know, when, when we pull it off, that was like, we were holding it on ourselves and then we kind of pretend to pull it off. And then there's a little bit of VFX done to make, you know, to make it look like there was, uh, something else going on, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, that was all the, 
you know, like, so for instance, we only had shutters on the downstairs windows of the house because we couldn't get up to the, the top. So those are all, those are all digital. I think all the other ones, um, yeah, we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough wood to build shutters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, I love uh, just the shackle thing seems like a weird thing to linger on, but horror fans were so savvy to cutaways and it's actually yeah. like a trope just like any yeah. other. And you know, when somebody sells you a slasher and they open up big and somebody dies and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then there isn't another kill on screen the rest of the movie. You, you lose points forever. Like it's yeah, hard yeah. to come back from that kind of stuff. So just yeah, yeah. those little moments like that shackle, it's like, holy shit. Like anything could happen here. Well, these were the sort of things where you had to, these was like solves that were done on set. So originally in the script that was written that they were chained to a, a, a an iron radiator in, in like in the floor. Okay. And that scene is much, you know, much more complicated where Jack is sort of like trying to chip away at the floorboards to sort of, you know, be able to lift up the the, the leg of the iron radiator and slide the cuffs underneath. But obviously you get, you know, you've, you can't build, we couldn't build anything. So you get in there and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we don't have that. But what we do have is a bit of wood that we can stick onto the wall and make it look like she's got something down here. So, you know, Matthias and I walked around in that shed and he was like, what can the alternative to a radiator be? And we just sort of spitballed it and figured it out. And then, you know, and then our production designer had 24 hours to make something. So it was... Now, okay. But now as a writer, I feel like my instinct would be this kind of changes the character. Because if somebody's like handcuffed to a radiator, that would kind of imply you're coming up with something, this wasn't planned. But if you got shackles in your basement, that feels a little bit more premeditated. So well, as, as a writer, are you worried? Like, this changes Ma. Like, for her what to have shackles. But, but, but this is the thing, is, is that other things could have changed her, but that, for me, doesn't, because she had to have gotten the family there in the first place, you know? So, so she wouldn't okay. have arrived yeah. on the first day and had better upstairs, and, you know, like, it, it was a process to get the house set up the way that it was set up. So these sort of things all kind of, like, if anything, sort of fed into the narrative and, and gave a little bit more sort of uh, color to it. Um, so I was okay with that, you know. Um, I think if if somebody had suggested for ease that that it was you know something that didn't fit the character, then I would have I would have had a had an opinion on that. I think. And would you have felt like confident in like voicing that, or was there kind of 100%. like would Matthias looking and be like, "Dude, shut up! No, <laughs> it's not your movie." Anymore. He, he had my back, you know. Like, and Matthias wanted to make yeah. the, very, the very best film it could be, you know. I think there, there was there was one thing that we disagreed on that we fundamentally disagreed on about in the way that the film ended up and that's pretty much it you know and and um and beyond that who won that argument he did he was a director yeah so so um um but everything else we just kind of you know we sat down you know we 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 had rational conversations about things and we tried to work the problem if there was a problem and you know he was a great collaborator in that respect well, it sounds like you had a good uh, mix of like happy accidents there too, because oh, I'll, yeah. as an audience member, when I saw the exterior and that house looked like a fucking mansion, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, in my head, I'm like, it felt like it was part of the script because it had yeah. felt like our character had blocked off a majority of this gigantic house in kind of like a, I don't know, like a womb metaphor or keeping everybody together. And then, yeah. you know, we get a reveal in the third act and it's like, it just felt like it was part of it. So to hear... It had to be, that, yeah. But I mean, I think it worked as like a pause. Yeah. Like it's kind of creepy when you see, like, oh, this is a fucking gigantic house. And he locked that, she locked that dude in the front. Like, like clearly everything was being controlled in a large way. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just sounds like, dude, your movie, it it really worked well. (laughs) Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, um, sort of things like Misery and Panic Room, you know, were obviously films that when you're coming up with an idea like this, you revisit to make sure that, number one, you're not stepping on their toes too much, but number two, just to, how did they solve that problem, you know? And and I think, you know, um, having a house that was imposing and foreboding was huge because the house is a character in the film in its own right so that's why we were i say that's why we went to such lengths to find the right location we found it the first <laughs> fucking place we looked at but we would have gone to those lengths you know so yeah well it sounds like the stars aligned for you yeah we 10 minutes enough. away that location honestly that that location felt very rural in the movie so those drone yeah. pickups really helped yeah, I mean, it's all comp. So, like, the backgrounds are all when, when, when you know, we come out of the basement and it's me and Matty sort of like, you know, figuring out what we're going to do next. Those mountain ranges are all, you know, that's all digital. But like, the the house itself is comped into the wide shots as you, in, the, in the opening of the film when you're coming into the valley and stuff. That's all, that's all uh, uh, day for night. I think Matthias went and shot that drone stuff during the day and it's been treated to make it look like night and the house has been digitally in, you know, inserted into it and stuff. So, all clever, all clever stuff that I don't understand. Right? But I don't need to. I just said, it's a house in the fucking valley. Go and make it. <laughs> I go, your, your job is done. What a, yeah. what a thankless job, though. Like, if you're a VFX guy and you're comping in environment and you do your job right, nobody will even know you worked on the movie. Yeah. But uh, if you fuck that uh, up, everybody will just hate you and make fun of the whole film forever. Yeah. yeah. Why does yeah. this film look I so don't- shit? <laughs> Because I didn't even, I mean, I had no idea it was comped. I completely bought into the fantasy. Well, I was like, oh, we, obviously we're going to shoot some Scotland and all sorts of Santa Matias. Let's start looking at places in the Isle of Skye, you know, like the Scottish islands where it's super remote. And he was like, hold on. So we've got, you know, a couple of quid to make this film. You know, if, if we, we can't even afford hotels for people. So you, if you shoot somewhere remote, how the fuck are you going to get everybody there? How are you going to house everybody there? How are you going to, you know, how are you going to get the, the gear there it has to be accessible and i was like no no and he's like look trust me we'll make it look like it's in the middle of nowhere and i was like well, yeah, are you sure and he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah 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 um uh, well russ we hit our time i know have any other uh questions oh, dude i could talk to neil forever you know it that's yeah, why i was well, letting it's, a, I was uh, letting it's a, bedtime for neil over there i know and neil dude thank you for staying up we didn't even get to talk about like the theme of parenting in this movie which I, I have to tell you in this, I'll keep this short. This whole last year, 2023, um, I felt like it was almost like a year owned by my peers who have not had children and were just right. like eliminating them in every movie. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and as a horror fan, I, that used to be something that I would look for. But since I had a baby like a year ago, I've, you know, have a different perspective. And now I'm like, dude, now y'all want to do this? So anytime yeah. there's a movie... Like last week we talked to Barnaby who did the seating and anytime where there's like an introspective kind of parenting thing, or I don't know, just we're doing something new with the theme. I love it. And I think your movie had a strong, a strong theme and a lot to say about parenting. And um, next time we tie you down and get you on here, we could get into it. I, 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 you know, I I know that you, you've got to make this quick, but I will just say my, you know, if it, if it gives you any, uh, any insight my son my first child was a year old when i started writing it so i was right in the in the weeds of late nights you know dealing with responsibility um figuring out how the fuck i was supposed to do all this stuff you know um yeah so i think it you know it informed a lot of a lot of what was you know what what came out on the page is in sort of trying to figure out themes of 
familial themes and relationships and parental themes and stuff. I will just call you out on one thing. You said I could call you out on stuff. So yeah, please if, do. If, we, if we've got if we've got an extra minute. So when I did listen nice. to your review, and I was you know very appreciative. We'll make we'll make more time for this. Believe me. <laughs> you, you did fuck up one thing. You said you Uh-oh. just got and, and and you and and you basically shot an, an arrow into my ego because you said <laughs> I love you this. said. You were like, oh, you know, you were describing the plot of the film. You said, and these two guys turn up, and you know, there's a dad and the son, right? So in the movie, yeah. Matty and I uh, are brothers. I'm his much older brother, um, who has who's had to basically raise oh. him. So in real life, you thought we were father uh, son. <laughs> I did. You're an idiot. Right. So, Jesus Christ. So, so this is this is the thing. So it was always written as brothers, and there was meant to be ten years between them, and. We, we were casting the film during COVID. So like, you know, we never met Harry in person. It was always through, you know, his tapes and Zoom and stuff like that. So about two weeks before we shot the film, he came, he wasn't living in London. He came to London. I met up with him to go for a beer and chat about the project and stuff. And I was sitting opposite him. I was like, he looks fucking young here. And I'm, you know, like for context, I was 39 when we made the film and, and, and Jack was meant to be around 35, I think. And, and I was like, I can probably pull off 35. And Matty's meant to be around 25. And I met up with Harry and I was like, how old are you, Harry? And he's 21. So I'm like, I'm nearly 20 years older than this fucking guy. Do we have a serious problem here? Do I need to rewrite this where I am his father? Right? Because like, is this just like, again, the ego trip of like the lunatic writer that's cast himself in the movie playing the older brother of the bloke that's 20 years younger than him? Like, what the fuck are you doing? So, um, we, you know, we, we had a bit of like a, you know, me and Matthias had a, a, a last minute kind of emergency meeting, like what the fuck do we, is this going to be a big problem? And the consensus was that we looked like we could play brothers that he looked 25, I looked 35, we, we could get away with it. And no one ever, ever in any review, in any interview, in anything I've ever heard has mentioned anything to the contrary, except you, when you called me his fucking dad. <laughs> Well, now I love it. Uh, well, that's how he, you got him on the show. Good job. I, yeah, I knew it. We just we, we're mean to people, and then they come on for revenge. Here's the thing. Now, I thought I was being clever. This is how dumb I am. I thought the movie it was kind of unspoken the relationship, and that y'all had like a band of brothers thing going on, and you just took like the mentor role. I actually was shocked by the third act when we actually uh, learn a little bit of lineage. And I mm. thought it was one of the best where I'm like, fuck, we're really like digging into what being a parent is and mm. blood or not blood. And I, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't know why I'm tiptoeing here, but I actually thought that was one of the like more shocking reveals in the movie because I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, Neil, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong here, but like, isn't there exact dialogue in the movie about them oh, yeah. being brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I maybe I just assumed they were lying. But you did say you well, weren't listening to the first 10 minutes as well. So, yeah, that might be true. Well, here, God, you know, <laughs> oh, Neil, boy. I don't know if you can tell. You just really know how to present yourself well, don't you? Well, here's the thing when I watch a movie, especially with like, hey, if I don't know any of the cast too, I'm just fully, I'm a, it's almost like I took a drug. I'm teleported yeah, to a new reality. I'm living in you it. You grip it and you rip it. I, you know, I, I, I get it. <laughs> hard details. Maybe they float right by me, but That's I'm fine. completely on board. It's true. <laughs> maybe literal dialogue addressing <laughs> the thing that I got wrong. You know, it just slips right by. But yeah, yeah honestly, exactly. I was just like, damn, this is a fucking good movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And, and obviously, you know, I'm only messing. I really, I thought it was quite funny, um, but it did. Uh, it, I did, I did want to mention it as a, as a bit of banter. Hey, well, I did um, say you were handsome today. Okay, oh, there you oh, go. Yeah, Do I get some that. points back? 
definitely. But I did say that was your problem. I'm like, Neil, you're too good looking. <laughs> and I never at once did I say you were too old looking. So No, you never said yeah. that. And I've had Botox since, so hopefully that's brought down a couple of years. Oh, there you go. Okay, well, can we talk about that? <laughs> I really I'm so I really curious. I'm just joking. Neil, uh, man, dude, thanks for reaching yeah, out, even you. if it was just to, to put me on the spot. And thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> Neil, you gave me great enjoyment uh, on that last segment. So uh, thank you so much. No, not at all. Yeah. Listen, thanks for having dude, me, boys. Appreciate it. Now, Neil, the one thing I got to leave you with is uh, look into found footage horror movies. You know, I'm not going to yeah. do a real pitch here. I oh mean, this God. is a real oh pitch, but I'm not going to really get into it. Look at in-world camera film. And if you ever play around with that, come back. Because we got a home for you at the Unnamed Footage Fest. And I know you, you're navigating genre, but you're a very highbrow. I, I would align you with Safty Brother Worthy. I think they should have uh, put you in a movie. They should produce okay, something okay. yours too. We'll get a word out. I will. We'll contact Randy. Oh, call, hit them up, Randy. I know they're your buddies. But I think uh, the in-world camera stuff may have been born in popularity by the Blair Witch, but there's a lot of interesting film going on there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, requires a little budget. Done- one of my friends was in uh, host and dashcam, and you know those two. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who is and your Jeff, buddy in dashcam? Uh, well, she's she's one of the leads in in host. Her name's Gemma Moore. I think she pops up in dashcam too. Um, she's a British Asian actress. Fantastic. Well, there you go, dude. Uh, love it. Rob Savage, his career like blew up too. Yeah, yeah. So see, great. there's opportunity yeah. here. Then yeah, you yeah. could go do your Spike Lee Australian project. I don't know. I was thinking Spike Lee, but you got to guess. You don't have to answer, Neil, but you got to guess who the director was attached. George Miller. Okay, I'm, I, it's neither one of those. But you're in. You're in the right. In the right. Uh, um, the director was is you know is Australian. So there you go. Oh, that's, okay. yeah, that was it. He said Australian. I go straight to George. <laughs> yeah. All right, Neil. Dude, I love you, man. Thank you for coming on, and please keep us updated with anything you end up working on. Or future 100%. projects. No, 100%. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, as I say, like, just, just making the effort just to put the word out on the film. And I'm, and I'm glad, moreover, that you enjoyed it. So thank you. Oh, dude, I dug it. Yeah, man, it's great. Yeah, it, uh, I think, honestly, Tubi, you're doing them a favor. Because you're, you're yes. one of those hints out there that, that we got real movies. You just got to, like, yes. play around a little bit. Well, that's, that's going to be their new slogan. <laughs> we got real movies. We got real movies. Yeah, I, I like it. Watch Little Bone Lodge, a.k.a. The Last Exit. God. All right, Neil, man. Thank you, dude. Thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.